welcome to From What If to What Next. I'm Rob Hopkins. This is the podcast that takes what-if questions sent in by you, the listener, and then finds the two best people to explore with me how we might move that what-if to becoming a what-next, a living, breathing reality in the world. Today we're exploring a what-if question sent in by subscriber Joy Shakawi, who wrote... What if we had a space in our communities where people could come together and wonder out loud, think thoughts and try on new ideas without needing to be right or even practical just to see where it leads? I've taken the liberty of distilling Joy's question down to what if communities had spaces where they could come together to imagine? And that is our exploration for today's conversation. While I was researching from what is to what if, I visited a Lab Live event put on by the Institute of Imagination in London. On a sweltering hot day, I found myself in a huge fire station, which, for the day, had been transformed into an imagination laboratory with dozens of imaginative things to do. The Institute has been described by Sir Ken Robinson, one of its patrons, as a celebration of children's imagination and creativity, offering all sorts of practical opportunities for its cultivation. Kids were building cities out of cardboard boxes, making amazing water-powered devices, beautiful clay tiles, and it was not uncommon to see their accompanying adults sometimes lost in one of the activities while their kids had wandered off onto something completely different. It was a space that was filled with imagination, play and delight. As one parent told me, here the kids can do all the things that we can't do at home because they make too much mess. It felt like a precious and increasingly rare space. All too often, if we do it at all, play is something we do on someone else's terms, prescriptive, commercialised and imagination is locked out altogether. It's our assumption today that one of the things a future in which imagination is able to flourish will need is spaces in which it is invited, intentionally. These can take many forms, but we need them. So what are the ingredients of such spaces? What makes a good one? Who gets to create them? How can we ensure that they support and reflect the diversity of the place in which they are situated? Big questions. But that's our intention here on this episode of From What If To What Next. We are fortunate today to be joined by two of the best people to help us unpick this. Tom Doust is a social innovator who spent his 20-year career designing and delivering creative multi-stakeholder programmes with children, young people, families, schools and communities across the education, design and cultural sectors. He's a founder of the social action charity Envision and was a 2013 CLAW Fellow with Nesta. Tom is currently Director of Experience and Learning at the Institute of Imagination. The Institute of Imagination champions opportunities for children and young people of all backgrounds to develop their imagination, a quality that is vital to creativity and the next generation's ability to adapt and thrive to a rapidly changing world, as I witnessed that day in London. Marie Godard joins us from Mons in Belgium. Her background is in theatrical creation and she was very involved in Mons 2015, their European Capital of Culture project. She now dedicates her energy to transition, permaculture and the climate emergency. As a designer, facilitator and freelance storyteller, she accompanies organisations and partners from the emergence of ideas to the celebration of success. Over the last couple of years, she's worked on some amazing projects focused on bringing imagination into the public realm. This included the Imagine Your City project in the city of La Louvière, Three Willows Shared Gardens in Mons and the Light Housing Festival. 
Of particular interest to us today is her work on play, a proposed cultural space in the centre of Brussels dedicated to the power of play and imagination in our cities. Welcome both. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'd like to start with the activity that always starts these podcasts. I'd like to invite you both and the listener too to close your eyes and get comfortable. I'd like you to imagine that thanks to the power of the time machine that we've built here at From What If to What Next Central, you're travelling forward through time. Our travel slows and we emerge blinking into a 2030 that is a result of the 10 preceding years being a time of remarkable, sustained, thrilling social, economic and cultural change. In 2020, no one could see it coming, but it was a time of deep historic change. And the world you are emerging into is one that has succeeded in becoming post-carbon, fair, just, more connected. As a fundamental part of that, it's also a world in which all communities now have spaces where they come together to imagine. They have become such a fundamental part of life, like the water we swim in. There are many such places in many different forms. I'd like to invite you to take us on a journey in your imagination into how that world and a day in the life in it appears to you. What does it smell like, sound like, feel like? Bring it to life in our imaginations. Tom. Wow, yeah. So this is just such a wonderful exercise I really enjoy doing. And I think one of the most important things to share at the beginning is that spaces need people. So without people, spaces are are flat and dead. But with people... They come alive through people's empathy and sharing. So in imagining these spaces, I think also you need that sort of uh, opportunity and the time for people to have have the time to imagine. So what I'm seeing here is actually there's some sort of social prescription wrapping around these spaces to imagine. And there's these opportunities to allow people as a kind of well-being agenda to take time out of their day to come and visit those spaces. Because if people don't come to them, they won't come alive. And I guess it's important to say that then our society has shifted slightly. So we're given that opportunity to actually wander and come across places that we think allow us to to use and apply our imagination. Of course, you can't just prescribe imagination. Imagination can't just happen. You actually have to uh, find the time to to do that. You have to find the the time to, to let your mind wander and you have to be inspired by things. So... Overall, I think we're looking at a society wrapping around these spaces that is working less and being more active in its communities and volunteering more. So I'm going to walk you around what some of those places look like. And rather than starting your day perhaps in a sweaty indoor gym working out, I'm actually envisaging an imagination gym where you can exercise this all-important imagination muscle, which I think is a muscle. I think we probably lose touch with our imagination and we forget how to, to use it and therefore we need to work at it and strengthen that muscle. So this, this gym might not be too radically different from society's infrastructure today, but it, it involves things that we're, we're perhaps losing today. Those kind of quiet spaces that we might find time to pick up a book or an article to read. So thinking about ways in which we can use our civic spaces like libraries and bring them back to life and breathe life into them. But also it's spaces where we can bring ideas to life. 
So spaces where we can fabricate our ideas, perhaps where you can come together and play with materials. Or if you have an idea, you can actually rapidly prototype that concept and share it with people. I'm always a fan of Speaker's Corner in London, where you can just pop up and share some thoughts or be inspired by talks and screenings. So there are a lot more spaces for you to come into a public realm where you can be inspired by something that's happening and going on. This means a real kind of reimagining of our civic spaces. And I think we're fast forwarding 10 years, but actually in the last three months, we fast forwarded quite quickly. And I'm seeing already, we were seeing kind of what was going to happen to the high street. Well, I think there's an opportunity here now to to reimagine and rethink our civic spaces to foster our imagination. Another area I think uh, will change quite quite quickly, and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining how it will change, and I'm excited by this because I'm involved in it, is the education systems around us. So at the moment, we have a very regimented approach that children go to school at nine o'clock and everyone rushes there and everyone picks them up at three o'clock. That model is, as we know, outdated, and I think there's a fantastic opportunity in the next 10 years to reimagine how we might have a more kind of blended approach to people's uh, learning and education. So the school buildings might change. Sure, you might still have classrooms for certain things, but actually learning might happen in a more holistic way, supported perhaps at home more by technology and connectivity, but also the fabric of our towns, our cities, the countryside, they have so much to offer to, for us to learn. So actually thinking about how everyday spaces are a really important learning spaces. They're rich in culture and heritage, or they might have uh, an opportunity to, to interact and engage with and help shape. So uh, as well as uh, teachers teaching, I think people, we all become teachers and civic spaces become places where we can, we can learn and, and uh, expand our minds. And then finally, I think for me, really importantly, and this is something that is important now, but I think we can really enhance in the next 10 years, or I see quite a radical shift, are our parks and green spaces in, in towns and cities. And parks, obviously, are hugely important. People use them all the time. But rarely do we get the chance to help manipulate and shape those spaces where we can think about the types of needs of people who use those parks. So maybe in those parks and green spaces, we're seeing more kind of areas for quiet spaces or places expanded for the exercising. So we don't need gyms or places to play, places to grow food and and really link up that that opportunity for people who don't have space to grow food. And so here I'm I'm envisaging that laws are relaxed. So the, the public realm really becomes public because over the last few decades, certainly in in this country, we've seen that public realm has been closed by private companies. And actually, the local authority owns a lot of land. And so how can we find ways in which communities can really start to take ownership of that land and help shape it and with more time, become uh, contributors to the the changing of that. So that's my that's my vision. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. That's fantastic. Marie. Thank you, Tom. So I wake up in the morning and take a glass of fresh water from the fountain. The sky is cloudy, but the sun is breaking through. I heard birds singing. I feel fresh air between my fingers and flowing in through my nose. It's delightful. I walk 10 minutes with bare feet in the woods. Yes, access to nature has been recognized as a human right. And there are trees everywhere now. I connect with elements, soil, air, water and the huge diversity of living beings and let my intention for the day come to me. I continue my work and get to the neighborhood gardens. Fruit trees, vegetables and flowers 
crawling, crawling and climbing everywhere. Everyone grows his own food with his neighbor here. In the middle of the garden, I joined the common space, a beautiful agora with a big circular wooden table, a bread oven and a fireplace. Natalie and Jack are already there. Rachel is reading in the hammock, while Monique is enjoying her tea on a small table. She loves to be still and alone in the morning. I eat some bread and veggies with Ben, my husband, and Ali and Manu, our friends who live under the willow over there in a beautiful tiny house. Around here, everyone chooses his or her own way to live, yurts, tinies, houses, or apartments. We begin our day with a 15-minute games called The Solution Corner. Manu broke the imagination flag. He has a challenge to propose to intelligence of the group. It's no usual. At any time, anywhere, anyone can bring the flag to get some help to imagine a solution with others. I continue my way on the path that goes to the city. Saint-Symphorien, my village, is not far from Mons, about six kilometers. Since oil has become too rare and too expensive to allow all people to have a car, the road has been changed in four paths, pedestrians, cycles, animals, and public transport. We are actually trying a new type of tram invented by Lux Curtin, a visionary Belgian architect, all in natural materials with tiny pots instead of wheels, much more convenient to go through the new landscape. It's not raining yet. I decide to walk. I have time. On the road, I see a succession of edible gardens, eco-renovated buildings, play spaces, places and forests. They are often food forests, but not always. Some of them are memory woods or wild ones. There's a lot of water everywhere. The city really changed since the Ministry of Imagination was born. The city has become a huge laboratory in which everyone can participate. I get to my workplace of the day, the nest station. Indeed, in each city, the station has been greened and turned into a common place that reflects the city, its ground, its history, its people, their stories and their dreams. A place to welcome newcomers and visitors. A space of possibilities where people gather to imagine and craft the way they want to live together. A place like an anchor, a totem, and a rainbow connected to the living. Amongst other jobs, I'm a facilitator for collectives. Today, at Nest Workshop, together with my clone and storyteller partner, I facilitate the Celebration Circle, a people assembly for the organization of the Return of the Solo Celebration that takes place every year at spring. We decided to do it by cooking, It's the end of the meeting, we ate together, we have been talking a lot, of course, and playing, laughing, and even dancing. It's now 4pm, time to go home. Friday night is a special moment for us, it's a pizza party. We gather around the bread oven in the garden, children organize games for the future, for everyone, we play music and sing. At the end of the evening, just before going to bed, we tell our stories trying to get rituals back in our lives. We reconnect with the ancient legends and myths of our region. Children are almost asleep. It's time to retire in our dreams tomorrow. It's another day of adventure.
Wow, thank you so much. What a beautiful way to start. What a thank you both so much for those. Um, so maybe I'd like to start uh, with the listener being able to get a clearer sense of what you both do. Marie, could you give us a, could you start by telling us a bit more about your brilliant play project uh, in Brussels? Yeah, so um, the play project is um, a project for a 6,000 square meter uh, building in the center of Brussels. Um, we imagine that for uh, the the city of uh, Brussels, and um, it explores play as a cultural and political tool for empowerment and creativity. So it's it's a space uh, that combines uh, exhibition space, meeting and events venue, design workshop, research lab laboratory, and uh, research center. And uh, yes, it's for everyone, children, but not also, not only children, also adults who want to uh, explore and discover and uh, learn, create and play together. And Tom, can you give us a sense, uh, an overview of the brilliant work you do at the Institute? Sure. So the Institute of Imagination is on a, a journey to create a, a permanent home for this incredible power we have, this human capacity to imagine that we feel is not really taken seriously enough in across our, our world, our societies, but is this super kind of superpower that we can use. Uh, and so we think it's seen as a frivolous act. So what would happen if you actually created a dedicated space where we could bring people in to, to use and apply their imagination? So on that journey to finding a more, a more permanent home for that, and we're currently based in London, but we work across the country and internationally too, we have created a programme called Imagination Lab, which is a series of spaces and places, experimental places, uh, like old fire stations, where we can invite people in to engage in very open-ended activity, um, sometimes thematic, uh, sometimes relating to the, the world around us, but importantly, allowing people to come in and, and really use and apply their imagination to a, to a topic and an issue and not, not really expecting any predetermined outcomes of that experience. So that might look like a whole range of activities and we work across a large spectrum of the imagination. So it could be you could be engaged in dance or theatre right through to playing with new tools and technologies like augmented and virtual reality. So you're experiencing new tools, you're playing and tinkering with them, you're sort of making uh, outcomes that, that are ideas that come from your head that, that then are applied th through the hands. And so we run a series of, of programmes across London uh, with schools and with other partner institutions too, aimed at children and families, but for, for all generations to take part in. And what are the ingredients of a good space like this, a good imaginative space? Tom, I know the Institute of Imagination run a wide variety of events and has done so for several years. If you were writing your list of ingredients for baking the perfect imagination play space cake, what would it include? Sure. So I, I, I've actually changed my opinion about this over the years. And that's partly because we started to work in partnership a bit more more recently. Um, we were very lucky to be furnished with a very fantastic open space, as you've mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, an old fire engine warehouse. Uh, that allowed people to sort of roam and explore uh, and discover, if you like, in that space. And it, it was also quite a democratic space. So I guess the first ingredient really to sprinkle into this space is that there isn't really necessarily a map or a route. You actually discover 
your own direction. You go and find something that looks interesting and draws you to it rather than saying you start here and you end there. I think that it's it's quite an open uh, space for you to, to invite to come in and, and play with, with tools and, and, and tinker with things. So there's no allotted time slot for you if you like to, to come in and do this and you start at 11 and you'll finish at 12. I think you do sometimes need that kind of uh, uh, book ending, but, and that depends on the type of activity you're doing, but we really try and encourage very open-ended learning. So actually you can come in and you can get lost in your moment and perhaps spend maybe two hours uh, when you had only envisaged coming over for a few minutes. But um, the reason why I think that my opinion has changed slightly is that we started to work more in partnership with, with some larger institutions. So for instance, we work with Tate, which lots of people probably know of, but if you don't know, it's it's one of the, the, the sort of biggest, greatest arts institutions uh, in the UK. Traditionally, when you walk into, say, Tate Britain, it's it's a very traditional art gallery. Um, but when we worked with them or have worked with them over the years, we've looked at how we can democratise the space and really do things quite radically different. And that might just be popping up stations for activity or it might be laying a whole load of paper on the floor and suddenly getting people engaged in, in creating uh, draw bots, which can then start to create their own art um, and really sort of throwing throwing it away from the, the classics on the wall and saying, well, actually, we're all part of this piece of artwork that's evolving and developing and we can all contribute towards that. So I think actually any space can be a, an imaginative space, but you have to start to think about ways in which people can start to occupy it and participate within it. And so, Marie, when you're planning the the play um, project in, in Brussels, what are you imagining will be the key ingredients of the space that you want to create there? Well, I joined Tom on the, on the fact that any space can be a, an imagination place. Um, I think the most important is people feel okay in the space, feel safe to uh, and feel invited to uh, use their imagination. In our society here, it's uh, it's like we we need to get a, a cardboard or something that saying, okay, here you can you can let your imagination go, and so it's maybe about spaces uh, and uh, inspiration, and uh, maybe it it has to be accompanied, but it's also about time. Any anywhere we can have spots of imagination, we can have slots uh, when we can say okay close your eyes and go and imagine in the play project uh, so we had the ground floor and we said okay it's a uh, we want it to be an open space and an empty space and and we say okay it's okay here to do whatever you want to do whatever you want to imagine and so there is this empty space, this this place for imagination, for me, a, a key uh, ingredient. The capacity to play and the capacity to imagine isn't, I would suggest, evenly distributed. Both come to some people far more easily than they come to others. There may be different reasons for that. Trauma, anxiety, social exclusion, social awkwardness can all make it harder for some people to easily engage in play and imagination. How can we level that playing field? How in cities with huge cultural diversity, with a wide diversity of life experiences and uh, and with an imagination muscle, as you put it, Tom, at different levels of, of, uh, of um, suppleness, can we level that playing field? 
Yeah, I think um, we're seeing an, an interesting shift. Uh, it, it, we have done in the last, well, interesting is, is one way of putting it, quite a dramatic shift in the last three months in terms of what's happened to societies uh, around the world. And one thing that will emerge from, from that is, is that we'll see, I think, a more a localization of people coming together. And therefore, I think there's an opportunity to rethink our local spaces and the spaces around us that allow us to to connect you know with our imagination i think that that's that's really important to say is to be a real focus and if you look at you look at the kind of traditional approaches to to being inspired perhaps by art and culture and heritage those are those bastions are are kind of large monolithic buildings in in city centers and they're fantastic but sometimes there are barriers to them people feel that they can't they're not for them they can't cross that border and, and go into a, a large museum or or civic space or cultural center to be inspired and to um to soak up you know art or history and i think therefore hopefully what we'll see is is those barriers starting to come down and hopefully we, we can we can start to see that perhaps that it's not just about those those places and spaces but those places and spaces can actually filter out into other areas uh, in the community uh, and people can access that and we can have a more kind of localized idea of of being inspired by culture in a city and and more kind of pop-ups uh, and more civic spaces being used um so i think that's that's quite exciting i think i think also one of the most important things is that we see this idea of, of imagination and imaginative spaces as a place that nurtures well-being. And certainly through our work, what we've seen is that people come through the door of an imagination lab and say, for the first time in a long time or for, forever sometimes, I haven't been told what to do, when to do it, and, and sometimes not how to do it as well. And that's quite an empowering thing for, for a person, really. Uh, you know, we live, as you said at the beginning of the programme, in such structured lives. How can we create these spaces for people just to come and be, be human and connect with, A, this capacity for us to, to wander off in our minds and come up with fantastic ideas, but B, then to, to take those ideas and actually apply that thinking into a, a construct. I guess the third element there is, going back to that first point, how can we create these spaces, perhaps in a hyper-local context or in a local community context, where people feel it's for them, so they don't feel like they have to be a certain person to, to go to a large building or civic space, actually, that this is their space and they feel welcome there and they can perhaps, you know, make a mess and that's okay. And that's what we found in our amazing fire brigade building, which ultimately was, was going to be knocked down. People could come in and, and it, it was theirs. They could make a mess, they could on the floors and it didn't really matter too much mm-hmm. so marie in 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 planning the building uh the, the the project in brussels how 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 do you think you can make it as accessible to the, the wide diversity of that city as possible yes we ask ourselves uh, a lot about the cultural place uh, maybe in in belgium in brussels uh culture uh, is um is representing uh a certain type of culture and so to to answer to your question i think all people i'm convinced that all people uh, each person has a huge capacity of imagination and it depends on codes uh, you you put on on your building on your uh, welcome space and if you get the codes of the public if you open it 
you can uh, really welcome every type of public and everyone. What about making our, our spaces, our cultural spaces, our imagination spaces, uh, really public spaces that can be uh, appropriated by people. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And what are the best examples you've seen of great imagination and play spaces? When you think of best practice of the projects that most inspire you, what comes to mind? I think we're seeing a shift around the world in in the way public spaces are, are changing. And I think people are realising that what people are offering in terms of a public space needs to be responsive to people. So I, I think the best practice for me is is where we're seeing really interactive spaces. You know, we're, we're, we're moving to a, to a space where, where people want to be part of uh, if you're looking at an exhibition, people might want to be part of that exhibition or, you know, they want to be able to contribute and, and, and not just look at fantastic pieces of artwork or, or inventions behind cabinets or on walls. How can they become interactive? And we're seeing a kind of an emergence of hybrid arts, science, technology spaces emerging around the world. Um, some inspirational spaces for us are places like the San Francisco Exploratorium. There's a new wonderful children's museum being developed in, in Mumbai, which is really looking at uh, the world around us and then how children and families can come in and really contribute towards solutions to some of the challenges that we face. And, and that space is, again, looking at ways in which the participant is a contributor and is, you know, is part of the experience as opposed to just being the experience laid on, on for them and in themselves. Sometimes, for me the most truly inspirational spaces are actually just really simple spaces. And I'm thinking back to an article Charles Leadbeater wrote in 2014. I don't often remember newspaper articles, but this one had such a profound impact on me. And he published it in a newspaper we have here in London called The Evening Standard. And it was all about how empathy is, is what makes cities. So our compassion, our creativity is the thing that really brings cities alive. And he talked about empathy as this like dark matter of city life, you know, dark matter being invisible, but very, very present. It was just about what you, the spaces you had around you that you could unlock. And he talked about, I remember one, but he talked about sort of Boris bikes uh, or, you know, the, the, the higher scheme of, of bicycles in London where you can borrow a bike. But what, what would happen if you could do that with like tables and chairs or where you could just kind of hire a table and table, a set table and chairs and just suddenly create a, a civic space where people can come together and just be and talk and spend time to ha perhaps let their mind wander. So sometimes it's, it's less about creating this supposedly fantastic space and actually it's just about the simple spaces around us and that's for me comes back to this idea of our local communities the more i think we can invest in local and hyper local spaces to make those areas for us to to come together and imagine i think the more exciting the world is as we move forward mm. so marie when you dream of good imaginative spaces what, 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 what have been your main inspirations well one of my main inspiration was the pop-up tomorrow experience you did okay <laughs> and so um, I think uh, it's possibilities to listen to imagination to people to create a frame for it and in, for instance uh, in uh, the European capital of culture we had um, a proximity project artistic project called the Grand Huit and so it was a, a project that goes in the village, goes in the city and uh, in the cities and just 
open a meeting to uh, to let people come who, who want to come can come and um, the facilitator is just listening to the the stories and um, in each village these stories these uh, these experiments has become a moment a festival a small festival of possibilities that was showed in the in the European capital of culture it's a really a project that people uh, imagine themselves And so it was a, a great experiment. Um, another thing in uh, La Louvière with Imagine Your City. We had a 63 hacker field to imagine in the city center. And uh, we let people come with projects they wanted to test, to experiment and to develop on this field. People from La Louvière, but uh, also uh, from uh, from the region, uh, came with Recyclab, so Fab Lab, a makerspace uh, about recycling. Uh, they came. They came with Eco Bistro. Uh, they came with Le Producteurs uh, Community, and so on. And so there is empty spaces. Come, let's emerge the possibilities by the citizen. You've both created events where you observe people immersed in a state of being imaginative and playful and creative and in a context where they're doing it with other people for many of us to see such a thing for many people listening it that might be quite a rare thing to have seen i might you be able to share with us for you what are the qualities that you see in people at such a time what does this stuff do to people There's a kind of well-known, almost scientific state, you could suggest, which which has been written about and talked about. Um, and you find it largely in kind of sports stars and, and musicians, this, this idea of flow state where you're in the moment. You're so engrossed in the moment that you're in a state of flow. You, you know, what's going on around you becomes less important because you're so engaged in what you're doing. And I think it would be bold for us to say that we we create places of spaces or you know opportunities for for flow states, but because we haven't scientifically measured that, but we've certainly looked upon um, and seen attributes where people come into our imagination labs and really do lose sense the sense of things, and that can be a sense of time. So people, our dwell time is very, is very high. People spend can spend up to three or four hours um, really engrossed in activity which in today's society is, is quite unusual. Going back to this idea of well-being and, and happiness, I think that's really important. And in fact, one of our themes at our Imagination Lab a few years ago was, was silliness and happiness and just taking people outside of their everyday context and coming into a space where you could be a bit silly and, and therefore hopefully it would generate a sense of of humour and, and laughter and, and happiness. And if you did some ridiculous things, then that, that would be okay. And it would take you outside of your perhaps serious state of mind. So I think those those are really key. I think when people forget to eat, uh, they are so engrossed in the activity, they they get really hungry. That's sometimes an interesting sign too. And these, these are sort of small measures that we haven't necessarily recorded or indicated, but which we've anecdotally observed or which parents perhaps have come to us and said, oh, it's such a great time, we forgot to have lunch, or that, that kind of idea. And so I think it's those those small things that you can see, I mean, just just observing those human attributes. And I think the reason why people um, share that with us through through our kind of feedback and, and through, the, through our evaluation is that they haven't been in that state of being for a while. Um, you know, our lives are very programmed, are busy, 
um, and we haven't been able to perhaps uh, have that moment to, to for our minds to wonder. And so coming into a space to give you permission to do that is a novelty. Yes, I think this is the, the flow, but when they are in the States, they are really connected to uh, themselves. They are really present to themselves. We, we don't have many time in our lives uh, now to, uh, to be in this, uh, in this state. And um, they are also open to others. They can really enjoy the, um, the state of being with others and creating with others. And uh, so it's an uh, open mind to, uh, to it. Uh, and that's because I think they feel safe and comfortable. After that, they are also surprised by themselves. They are creating, they are imagining something. But after that, wow, they say, yes, I, I did this. My imagination, my creation. And, uh, and so it proves also that we, we are not used to it. And uh, it's beautiful to see. We're emerging, we hope, now from the COVID-19 crisis and potentially into a huge uh, recession. In the UK, the government is talking about focusing on funding vital infrastructure. If you had to make the case, as you're doing right now in Brussels, Marie, that, that places for play and imagination are in fact vital infrastructure and should be seen as central to any plans for building back better uh, for Brussels, how would you argue your case? We, we argue uh, actually uh, to the, um, the mayor of Brussels and we said uh, that play and imagination is really in the center of the big deal of today <laughs> because we, we can continue like this. We can continue uh, with a state of mind uh, that leads us to this situation. We, we need space to rethink about the way we, uh, we live, the way we manage the city, the way we try to live together. And it has to be at the city council, but also uh, with people uh, and all the diversity of people that makes Brussels. Uh, Brussels has uh, 184 nationalities and they have to, uh, to be in count uh, of it. And so imagination spaces can help us to, uh, to do this, uh, this connection between governments in, uh, in a large way and people and help us to, uh, to get the, the capacity to, uh, to be active and imaginative in uh, the way we want to live. So, Tom, if you had been uh, in the room during the discussions uh, in Downing Street about how to build back better from here, how would you have argued the case for play and imagination to be fundamental to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. The number of times I've heard the word reimagine in the last three months, um, I think that alone has, has moved this concept of imagination being a frivolous act along quite far. You know, they're quite excited by it. But I think for me, if you're there with policymakers and decision makers, and we've been talking about this, this concept of innovation now for, for a while, if you can strengthen the link between play, imagination and innovation, if you can actually demonstrate evidence to, to policymakers that, that, you know, the use of your imagination, playful environments, you know, rapid prototyping, these kind of concepts that come out of these actions lead to innovative thinking then I think you'd have a, a much stronger case and I think that people would would buy into it because I think people in the over the last decade have really bought into this idea that we need to be innovative and even before the crisis we knew that 
there were things that were starting to emerge that were going to destabilize societies, whether that be machine learning and artificial intelligence or, you know, changes to uh, the way that um, we will live and work in, in the future and, and move around. The crisis for me really has just fast forwarded that, possibly in some cases, by, by 10 years. So we're, we're at a really crucial time now. I think the opportunity is there if we can convince people that the skill we have, and I called it a superpower earlier because it really is, it really does allow us to step outside of our current context. This, this skill can be extremely useful. And I think, you know, going back to that idea of, of localized as well, the devolution of decision making to some extent would be would be great too, to think about how we can strengthen our communities. You know, more and more people from this crisis uh, are losing their jobs. What does that mean for the future of employability? How can we build back better with people volunteering or, you know, being given a wage to help build and strengthen our communities. We're using their imagination and, and being playful. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both so much. Is, uh, I wonder if there was anything that either of you wanted to share relating to our question of what if communities had spaces they could come together to imagine that I haven't asked you the right question for yet. Is there anything that, uh, that you wanted to say that I haven't yet asked the right question for? We, we see small pockets of, of these opportunities emerging through projects that like Marie runs and, and the Institute of Imagination runs and other institutional organisations, arts organisations run. It would be really interesting to see if we did this a bit more at, at scale. There's an organisation in this country called Fun Palaces, which every year encourages people to set up a kind of festival, uh, an arts science festival in their local area and get people to come along. It's, it's, it's aimed at, at, at children, but also at all generations too. And I just would like to see perhaps what would happen if we could answer this question and it, and it happened at scale, how that would you know, have an impact on society and transform people's thinking, um, which you know, at the moment in, in these times, I think people need something positive to, to cling on to. Um, I've, I've been in, in lockdown in, in quite a rural area over the last three months just outside London in Essex um, and I haven't been into London for three months and I was there yesterday to see family and walked on, to, this is in Hackney and walked into a common there and just saw lots of people out and about just gathering, a socially distanced gathering of course but um, it was just great to see people coming to, together again so how can we, rather than just opening up pubs in this country, how can we look at ways in which civic society can, can come together at scale uh, in a safe way and really contribute to, to, to this recovery? Fabulous. Thank you. Marie, any, any last thoughts? In reality, we can, uh, everyone can bring his uh, imagination flag and uh, go on the streets and places and say, OK, this is the place for imagination. And, uh, and so... Maybe it's the my last my last thought about this. Yes, we have to dare. We have to um, to go to the public spaces and uh, and open uh, little imagination bubbles and connect the bubbles. Wonderful. I have a beautiful note to finish on that we need to dare to imagine. Uh, I love that. Thank you so much. So thank you both so much for 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 joining me today. I'm off to go and organise some street games in my street, I think. My deepest thanks to you both, to Joy for her question, to Ben Adicott for theme music and production, and to you all for listening. See you next time. 